Hi, welcome to episode 4 of the BCP cast. There's a well-known saying that it takes years to build a reputation and seconds to ruin it. We've all seen companies being named and shamed in the news for bungled business continuity incidents. TSB, the NHS and Norsk Hydro are just a few of the names that have been recently scrutinised and pilloried in the media for continuity incidents. These have real-world consequences. Customers of these companies have had to deal with disruptions to their everyday lives. So how can a company keep its reputation intact when things start to unravel, especially when the public is watching? Tonya York has consulted on business continuity in healthcare and finance, both heavily regulated industries. Oh, it's, it's much easier to do uh, continuity planning in a regulated industry for sure, especially those that are focused on finance. There's usually a lot of procedures in place, but technology companies are very entrepreneurial and they're really not process driven by their nature. So if you look at Amazon, Twitter, Facebook, they're all less than 25 years old and they've grown faster than their infrastructure processes, right? So it's much harder to do planning in a situation like that because of the lack of process. So you're asking them to develop just their their basic operational efficiencies. Some businesses are simply not prepared enough. We talked in episode 3 about plans that aren't fit for purpose. Sometimes a company is at the mercy of a BC incident. Depending on the severity, it could become a crisis, and if you're in the public eye, that's bad news. I asked Tonya if she felt imposed regulations were most effective for business continuity, or whether it's best for a company to do it simply because it believes it's right. Well, I mean, definitely it feels better, right, that you do it because it's the right thing to do. And for many companies, um, they can make it the right thing to do. It just depends. You know, you've seen many things that are going on in a lot of countries point to the fact that perhaps, you know, regulation is is uh, needed, that the pendulum needs to swing to the other direction. But if you can create the messaging that helps employees understand what their program has to do with supporting the mission of the business, um, that's the best way. Uh, In my time at Charles Schwab and Company, they had a very strong customer-focused culture. Uh, One of their core values was always be worthy of the customer's trust. And it was very easy to do I had a very difficult job. My job was very easy to execute because of that, right? Because everybody knew that we were there to protect the customer. The program supported protecting the organization and serving the customer. And in the United States, that's not a regular that's not a regulated industry. You have to do many different things, but there's nothing that says you actually have to have a contingency plan. So, I think that, you know, there's definitely a lot to be said for doing it for the right reasons. It's just incumbent on on my peers and I in the industry to be able to articulate the values to the executive leadership, right? Because if, if they don't understand the value, the biggest value I can provide is highlighting deficiencies in our operations. So when we conduct an exercise and we find out, oh gosh, we weren't backing up, you know, 10 gigabytes of data or, you know, terabytes of data, that's a big value as opposed to waiting until the event happens and yeah. the data's not there. So. Regulated or not, not having a BC plan that's up to scratch can have ugly consequences. It's a message worth repeating to staff who may not have business continuity at the top of their priority list, or indeed on their radar at all. Paul Curvin has been a member of the BCI for over 20 years, working as a business continuity consultant in the US. 
One of the things I've learned over the years is if that organization has never had any kind of an incident, and there are companies out there that have never really had a disruptive event, open their eyes, if you will. It's not easy to uh, to make the case. I found that uh, it's also good to provide examples of other similar kinds of organizations to help get people sort of more open to the idea that, well, yeah, maybe, you know, maybe we should look at this a little bit more carefully. From my own experience, most of the times I've been invited into a situation where an organization has gotten the word from the top to do something in the area of business continuity. So my job has really been just to do the homework and get the results in place so that the people I work with on the project can go back to top management and say, right, we, well, we're done. We've got it in place. We've done this, 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 and this. And now, now we, we have a program and we're going to go forward with it, et cetera, et cetera. So my experience has been more of being invited in after top management has gotten religion, if you will, and make things happen. A lot of what Paul says rings true with what we talked about in episode one, the importance of engaging people throughout the firm. After all, if something goes wrong, staff at all levels may suffer. Jessica Barker, a consultant in cybersecurity, gives a stark example of how an unprepared workforce can damage a business, risking not only reputational damage for the business, but also for individuals. The main thing that I have to deal with, because I focus on the human side, the biggest issue organisations are concerned with when they come to me is people clicking on links in emails. And uh, spear phishing emails have been the primary attack vector for a couple of years. Um, for many of the kind of cyber attacks, it often starts with an email. So we've had, for example, clients that uh, someone working in the finance team, she got an email, it looked very much like it came from the CEO. It looked very much like the CEO's email address and it said, you know, hey, um, we're acquiring a new company and it's been kept very quiet because of um, the share price. So don't tell anyone else, I'm trusting you, you're special. Um, so we need you to immediately make a bank transfer um, of, uh, you know, hundreds of thousands of pounds here's the bank details um, I know I can rely on you keep this confidential and do it really quickly and so she transfers the money because she thinks it's real um, as soon as she transferred the money she then thought that's a bit strange you know that that's never happened before the boss doesn't normally ask me to do this kind of thing so she rang up the CEO's office and she checked and of course the email hadn't come from the boss it was from cyber criminals, the money was gone, it's overseas, you can't get it back at that stage, often. Um, so that's really fascinating um, because she's educated, she's experienced, she thought about it after she transferred the money but not before and that's because there were a lot of clever psychological triggers in there the criminals know what they're doing they use old-fashioned con artistry stuff that we've known about for a long time and they wrap it up in technology and um and so they flattered her they gave her a plausible reason they gave her a time pressure all of this stuff that actually changes the way you think and makes you more susceptible and then as soon as she transferred the money all those pressures are gone and she goes back to thinking more rationally and, and then she realizes this would be the stuff of nightmares for just about anyone it goes to show that if someone is on autopilot reacting rather than acting the results can be catastrophic 
not just for the business, but for that person as well. Thomas Crowell looked after business continuity for Manchester City Council. He remembers a time when the council was in serious danger of reputational damage when they were hit by malware. Another incident we had was um, computer virus. Uh, we had a computer virus called Conflicker. And the city council was one of the worst affected organisations globally. And the incident lasted around 40 days. And during those 40 days, it was denial of service attack, malicious attack, but it wasn't targeted. So we were one of many organisations affected globally, but the worm got into our system, clogged it up in the same way a traffic jam occurs on a road network, and our IT infrastructure de facto stopped working. You know, the computer still switched on, but we the, the network had a traffic jam and for 40 days. So most aspects of the city council's operation stopped working. Enormous impact cost a lot of money. It was reported in the local papers, reported in the national papers. But that was due to a computer virus. The impact, we can't use our computers, so what do we do? Similarly with people, you can have pandemic flu. When I was working at pandemic flu as an issue, we were didn't have people available to do their jobs. But similarly, you could have a strike. Again, very different cause. People aren't available to do their jobs. So you have a plan for loss of workforce. Thomas talks about planning for the outcome, not just incidents themselves. What will happen in the worst case scenario? By planning for the outcome, you can mitigate the potential consequences, rather than fighting fires as they emerge. Russ Paramore, who takes care of business continuity for South Yorkshire Fire and Rescue Service, has to plan for the gravest consequences. We are different to the private sector. The private sector tend to have business continuity plans to make sure that their business continues because otherwise they're going to lose money and perhaps go out of business. The fire service, as with other public sectors, we're not going to go out of business. Um, despite, you know, we, we might make financial losses, but we're actually we're still going to be there. We've still got to do the job afterwards. But it's the reputational damage to a fire, to a fire service or in a, a police service or ambulance. The reputation of those services is the thing that could be really affected. So you could, if you don't get to a fire on time, somebody does lose their life, that's going to be all over the papers, there's going to be inquiries, it's all bad news. So our BC planning is to protect the reputation of the organisation. And the only way we can do that is to continue to do everything all the time or as much as possible. It's obviously vital for customers, public and private, to have faith in the services they use and rely on. A stained reputation can cause long-term and sometimes irreparable damage between a business and its customers. Paul talks about an even more drastic and traumatic event that could have been the end of many a business. In the aftermath of the September 11th attacks in Lower Manhattan, an awful lot of organizations were severely damaged, and and a lot of them in the financial space. But I, I remember hearing stories of a number of major investment banking firms, as well as major banks that were in the immediate area, their local, the local operations were severely damaged or destroyed as a result of the attacks. And the fact that they had alternate locations set up, they actually had secondary data centers 
as well as uh, additional available office space within New York City, notwithstanding the fact that there, there may have been loss of life in some of those organizations as a result of the, the towers going down, their overall operations were not seriously affected because they had done the, done the homework in advance and had the alternate arrangements in place People knew what they had to do in an emergency. They did what they were supposed to do in spite of all the tragedy that went on in lower Manhattan. And quite a number of organizations actually were able to get back in business like within the same day or within, uh, you know, uh, maybe two days because they had these arrangements in place. Other organizations, of course, that were affected by the actual uh, loss of the towers you know, in, in, in many cases, were not able to re, you know, recover and restore their business because of the, the severity of the event. But many of the major financial institutions in lower Manhattan had made those prior arrangements and experienced very nominal, if any, uh, disruption to their businesses. So there was many uh, examples of how disaster recovery and business continuity activities uh, paid off for uh, quite a few financial institutions in New York City. In the last episode, Jana used Cantor Fitzgerald as an example of great resilience in the face of unimaginable destruction and tragedy. Similarly, Paul points to the robust business continuity practices that firms used to get back on track, refusing to be derailed by the horrors of 9-11. Of course, reputational damage was of small concern in the aftermath of such an event. But it makes the point that a well-prepared business can go through the most trying circumstances and come out intact with a well-grounded plan. It's not just physical threats like weather, natural disasters or terrorism that can threaten businesses. Thomas has already mentioned the Conficker virus and believes technology brings a new dimension to business continuity practices and reputational risk. Technology is massively changing the way, the risks that we face. The word cyber has been mentioned always in the news, cyber this, cyber that. Um, Cyber breach occurred. There's a coming together of business continuity and almost uh, the skill sets that business continuity has to understand the organization and to respond to an incident. That is vitally important in managing some of the cyber risks. Yes, cyber has all the technical aspects that need to be dealt with, where you need techers to protect the infrastructure, and you need techers to secure the infrastructure when a breach has happened. But at the end of the day, the organisation is not there to have IT networks operating. It's there to do whatever business, making stuff, selling stuff. And when you're making stuff and selling stuff, you have customers. And those customers are going to, when they hear about a cyber incident, they're going to say, what does that mean to me? Uh, Is my data secure? Is my business that you might be running for me secure if if it's a data center that's had a breach? And that has reputational implications and it has operational implications that business continuity is well suited to uh, address. This is an issue we'll discuss more in the next episode when we look at supply chain management. In terms of the relationship between cyber and business continuity, Paul believes the two are not as joined up as they should be, adding an extra layer of risk to businesses. Yeah, I think there is a, there is a definite juxtaposition of the two disciplines, but it's not really by design or by desire of the respective players. 
in most organizations I've come in contact with, and that's even in very large organizations, they still operate in separate environments, separate silos, if you will. And that's an unfortunate thing because a cyber attack is also an attack on the business. It threatens the operation of the business, and that's what business continuity is all about. So there really needs to be more interaction and expertise sharing, if you will, between the two disciplines. Because if I'm the business continuity person, I mean, if I'm smart, I want to find out what the information security or the cybersecurity teams are doing, because that way I can make sure that my plans uh, are you know properly relate to and link up with the cyber activities in, in case anything of a cyber threat takes place. And conversely, I would try to make sure that the people in the, in the cybersecurity space are aware of what the business implications might be of a cyber attack. They, they may think that they know what it is, but if I've done the homework and really understand how the business operates at a very granular level, then I can help provide them with insight in terms of how a disruption at a cyber level could have a cascading effect on other aspects of the business, which I would know about, but they wouldn't necessarily know about. So there's good synergy with the two. There just needs to be more effort to work more closely together and share information. Jessica, who advises businesses on how to tighten up their cybersecurity, emphasizes why it's key to have a joined up response ready and waiting for a BC incident. What I would say in terms of incident response is organizations need a plan in general, like a high level plan that is um, structured in such a way to bring in the right departments um, and you know flow through all of the areas, HR, legal, comms, marketing. Um, and the technical side and so then depending on the type of attack that's when you're getting into more of the detail of the planning of depending on what has happened then we might be bringing in external investigators Um, you know we might be bringing in the regulators when do we go to the police some of this stuff um, that might be more driven by the type of attack and the type of incident you've experienced a damaged reputation can spell the end of a business but If the outcome is properly planned for, if top management are engaged and staff are prepared, it doesn't have to. Thanks for listening to episode 4 of the BCPcast. If you're enjoying it, give us a tweet at the BCPcast or recommend us to a friend. We'd love to hear from you. There'll be a new episode coming soon. Keep an ear out.